Well, if you have your Bibles, go with us to Galatians chapter 5 and also in John chapter 14 and verse 27. And we're going through a series on Sunday morning called Changed, and it's what God does in us. When you get saved, when you come to Jesus Christ and you give him your life and you give him your heart, you give him your all, when it's no longer just uh, say, well, I'm going to go to church, when it shifts to, I'm going to just give myself to Jesus. I'm going to become a follower of Christ. I'm going to for real become a Christian. And when we give ourselves to Christ through repentance and through faith, what we're looking at on Sunday mornings is what he begins to do in us. And today we come to what God creates in us, and it is peace. The peace, which is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to help me out this morning. Um, I want you to think about peace. Y'all want to turn the light back on? There we go. All right. Awesome. Uh, I want you to help me out with peace. If I said, imagine peace for you, what would be peace? Just think of what it would be. Peaceful day, peace period. Just let it soak. What does peace bring to mind? You know, we're in Rocky Mount. We live in the mountains, and guess what happens when it gets warm? Everybody goes to the to the beach. For some people to say, if I can just go to the beach and have one of those little canopies, and if I can have a, a, a recliner and just be there on the beach and have something to drink like that is peace. For some of us, we say peace is actually a nice drive on the parkway. Jen and I actually had the chance to go to the Cascades on Friday. And man, what a beautiful hike. If you live in Virginia and don't go on a hike, go on a hike. Like enjoyed. It was awesome that we got to the end and there's this rock that you can get to and you can lay out on this rock and it's like God and his foreknowledge and his sovereignty had, had all, had this rock laid up to it was almost like a little rock rest you could put your head on. And man, we had gone and we laid down on that rock and thought, this is just so awesome. It was so peaceful. And for some of you, if you have kids, peace can be if they take a nap. Can I get an amen? Right? Like that, like that is peace. And for some of you, so you say, if I can come home from work and just leave me alone, let me unwind in my shop, let me watch TV for like 37 minutes, I'm not even asking for the whole program, just let me have some time to unwind, that gives me peace. And you know what's interesting for most of us, when we think about peace, we think about something external, right? Like we associate peace with a place that we can go to that gives us peace or we associate peace with uh if you can help me out this morning with certain people not being there you tracking with me well like it would be peaceful if i didn't have to be around these people because i don't do anything and then they flip a wig right like i have to watch what i say what i do so for most of us right out of the gate when we say the word peace we think of external things right that are supposed to produce a peace on the inside. So something 
external that works its way internal. But when we open God's word and we come to Ephesians, or excuse me, um, Galatians chapter 5, the word peace that's used many times in the Bible, it doesn't have to do with something that's external that works its way in. What it means is that, that peace is a supernatural gift from God. It's a supernatural gift from God. Now the world wants peace, at least some people say they do. And if you studied American history, you know there have been many attempts to have what's called a utopia. That's where people say, you know what? These factories and these farms, they have issues. But what we want to do is get a really good group of people. And we want to have this commune. We want to have this farm. And we want to create a perfect little utopia. And guess what happens to utopias? People start out with saying, you know what, we're going to have peace. This is going to be awesome. We're not going to have to worry about inequality. We're not going to have to worry about marriage issues or any of that. Guess what happens to utopians? They start out with this great idea about external peace, but they always crash and burn. Do you know why? Because utopias have people. And when you have people, you're not going to have utopia. Except for when we come to the Bible where it talks about where God begins to create peace within us. And for some of us, we say, now, Jeff, what is the cause of problems? Everything from war down to fighting where we're going to go to eat after church. Um, y'all never do that. I want you to make a note in your Bibles in James chapter 4. And this is before we get into uh, John chapter 14. But it's a great little introduction on the question that some of us have after a big fight or a big argument, whether it is uh, it is over Christmas and Easter because sometimes you're with extended family members or you're with your family and you have these big blow-ups, right? Now, y'all never have that, right? Okay? But if you've ever had an argument sometimes and you look back and you say, how did this big mess start? I mean, we were talking about the couch and then an hour later we're yelling at each other about who knows what. James chapter 4 says, in beginning in verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions or your lusts or your desires, meaning sinful desires to be right, are at war within you? Is it not this, that your passions or your lust or your desires are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. That's hardcore. Right? I mean, that's always the root motivation to say, you have what I want, therefore I'll take your life. And then it goes to things that we, some of us can maybe identify with more. It says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Because God says throughout scripture, if you ask, I'll provide what you need. But then he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Just like the Bible saying, you know what? The reason why we fight and the reason why there's a lack of peace many times in the home is because Jesus is not reigning. He's not operating as king in our hearts. And when that's the case, we have this drive to say, I am right. And then we don't pray. And it says that when, when you do pray, you pray selfishly so that you may spend it on your, your lusts. So what is peace? A lot of people in our world think that peace is denying problems, right? It's the head and the sand. But we know 
that denial of problems doesn't bring peace, right? Just because we say that there's not a problem doesn't mean that the problem is erased. Changing the channel doesn't bring peace. Okay, so peace is not imagining that there's not war. Peace is also not just refusing to intervene in problems. There's some people say, you know what, I want to have, I want to have a peaceful life. So in order to have that, I don't want to intervene in anything that's, that's sticky. I don't want to intervene in problems. Well, Edmund Burke, we know this quote, right? He says that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And we know that evil by definition doesn't just stay where it is. Evil spreads. So we know that we can't have, have peace by simply saying, I'm not going to get involved. You see, peace is not a place that we can move to. Peace is not a a vacation that we can enjoy and let it work its way in. Because in the Bible, there's pretty much two words that are used to explain peace. One would be the Hebrew word shalom. And it carries the idea of completeness or soundness. Now, I want you to think about this with me. For most of us, when we say the word peace, we usually, because we live in a jacked up world, right? Like we live in a crazy twisted world. We can't really imagine peace except for in negative terms. Kind of like this. Peace is the absence of war, right? Like peace is my husband or my wife or my family member not losing their temper. Like peace is the absence. But in the Bible, the word shalom has the idea of an active peace. There's also a word that's used in the Greek New Testament. Uh, and it's irene. It means it expresses the idea of harmony. It's when things are working as they should. It means when, so to speak, everything relationally in your life is in joint. So we could say that from the Bible, peace is harmony with God and with other people. And that is a supernatural gift from God. Peace is a supernatural gift from God and it's associated closely with the idea of reconciliation. You see, reconciliation is when you know that you have an issue with someone and it's just that relational burden. Have you ever been there? Right? Like they're mad at you, you're mad at them, and then maybe if you're saved and they're saved by the grace of God, you get down and you put it all on the table and you begin to talk through it and by the end you hear words like, I was wrong, I was a jerk, I was insensitive, will you forgive me? And there's that mutual confession of sin and that mutual reconciliation. And having peace with God is to be reconciled with God. You could say, Jeff, how do you get the state of harmony? Like, how does that actually begin? It begins by ending the war between us and God. There's a verse that's not very politically correct in the Bible when it says that we are enemies of God. Check this out. In our mind through wicked works. That means that if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, that you're at war with God. And I don't think that that's a winning thing kind of like kids, right? Sometimes when they're two or three, they begin to realize that they can talk back to mom and dad and they put the little hands on their hips and they start saying stuff and you're like, I had no idea that my child would have that. And then we say funny stuff right? like he gets it from his mom, she gets it from her dad. In a way, a child challenging a parent like that is in a, in a way like us 
trying to challenge God. It's not going to work. It's not going to win. And the fact of the matter is that God sent his son Jesus so that we could have peace. And if you do not place your faith in Jesus, you're at war with God. And there will be a day that you will stand before God. And if you've not had your sins forgiven, if you've not been born again, then God will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And you will never, ever have peace. In fact, it will be the opposite. That's the truth. We don't put that on coffee mugs. We don't put that on t-shirts. But that's the truth. That if you're not saved, you're at war with God and peace is impossible. You say, okay, well, Jeff, how do you actually get peace? Go with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. John 14 and verse 27. And this is kind of where we're going to camp out this morning. This is Jesus. And it's not too far away that he's actually going to go to the cross. Now, before we read this verse... Some of us do better with pressure than others. Some of, us, some of us, if we've got a big order, if we've got a big test coming down the pipe, we freak out a little bit. Some of us, it's kind of like Clint Eastwood, man, hold it all in. You could be about to have a heart attack, but you won't show any emotion. Well, some of us handle stress better than others. But let's try for just a minute to imagine that we're Jesus and you know That it's not long, like the cross is right on the other side of the door. Like it's not going to be long that you're going to be arrested, that you're going to be beaten, that you're going to be made fun of, you're going to be horribly tortured, the, the, the skin ripped off your back, and then nailed to an old rugged cross and killed. Like imagine, imagine if somebody came to you and you knew it was true, they said, tomorrow's it. Tomorrow is the day on the other side of the dash on your tombstone. Like TikTok. Starting now. What would we do? That, that would be strange. To say, you're going to die, it's going to be tomorrow. Most of us, most of us, our first reaction would not be, notice what Jesus does in verse 27. He's with his disciples who were always behind the eight ball, it seemed. Peace, I leave with you. What's the next phrase? My peace. This is crazy stuff. Jesus, who's about to be, give his life up to be murdered, he says to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. This is so cool. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. There's Jesus. He's saying, I'll give you my peace. And the way that you can tell that it's mine is because it differs from what the world gives. And then he explains further. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Wow. So here's Jesus about to give his life and he's concerned about the peace of his disciples. Man, that is, to use Francis Chan's book, that is crazy love. To about to be killed and you are concerned. Listen, this is not, they are not blood relatives. Like this is, they're not children. These are guys who time and time again, Jesus explained things and they just didn't get it. For some of us, when we explain stuff to people and they don't get it, we're like, I'll explain it again. And then when they don't get it, we may make a snide comment. Y'all never do that. And then you explain it again and they still don't get it. Here's Jesus with amazing amount of patience and love. And he's saying that peace can only be found in me. You see, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, the Bible says that he himself is our peace. That means that peace is found within who Jesus is. Imagine the world that Jesus gave these words in. It's not a world where you have the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. This is a world in which Rome ran roughshod over nations. 
This is a world in which really the only quote-unquote peace that you could have would be the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. You know how you got peace? You either said you can take over our whole country and tax us dry, or you could say after all of our young men die in battle against the Roman legionnaires because nobody could stand up to the Romans in battle, then we don't have any other option than to give you the keys to our city. You see, in Jesus' time, Peace was only understood in terms of who had the bigger sword, who had more power, who had the ability to conquer other nations. And here's Jesus about to give up his life, and he's talking about peace. Then when Jesus stood before Pilate, remember Pilate? It was almost upset, right? When he said, you know, don't you know, this is in John chapter 19, verse 10, he says, don't you know that I have the ability to release you or to hand you over? And Jesus calmly with peace said, you would have no power if it were not for my father giving it to you. You talk about how to annoy someone in authority. You talk about standing firm in the face of a Roman petty dictator and Jesus had peace. Undistracted faithfulness and trust in the power of God. And understand what peace is. This is such a beautiful thing that Jesus is saying in John chapter 14 verse 27. That peace is a gift from Jesus to his followers. It means that to have peace, it means that we have to first have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says that Jesus came to make peace by the blood of his cross. Romans chapter 15 verse 33 says that God is the God of all peace. Romans chapter 14 verse 17, it says that for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That may be hard for Baptists to understand, but it's not just an issue of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. Check this out. And peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, in the Bible, peace and joy are closely linked together. Because when you have peace with God, you are able to have joy. You see, now Jeff, I have never had peace um, in my life, here's, here's a news flash that peace is impossible if we're swimming against the current of God's will. Y'all alright? Like if we're, if we're swimming against what God says to do, then there's no way that we can have peace. It says in the book of Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22, there is no peace for the wicked. That's a Johnny Cash song. For those of you that are country music fans. See, here's the issue. Sometimes we say, I, I, I know, I know that I should get saved. I know that I should give my life to Christ, but I, I need, I need to get to this point first. That's not the way that it works. Getting saved is receiving a gift from God. Amen, church? Like it's not something that you work towards. It's not something that you prepare yourself. It's not something, hear me, that we get ready for. Some people, they say, Jeff, I'm just not ready. We're never ready to give over the keys to our life. Like never. Like there's, there's never a point where we wake up and just out of our own ability and our own awesomeness and human work, you know, and, and, and awesome. There's never a point where we say, you know what? I think that today I'm just going to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm just going to hand control over. We don't operate that way. So the, the way we get peace with God is to simply come before Jesus and kneel the knee in our heart, so to speak, and say, your will is my command. You say, Jeff, what is God's will? Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says that God's will is that all people would repent and believe the gospel. That's it. 
And if you've been in church for a long time, you just say, Jeff, I, I, I know the gospel. Can we talk about things that are quote-unquote deeper? Listen, I love John Piper's uh, statement when he says, you never, 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 never. He says, the words, he says the word never like 20 times. You never, ever, ever outgrow your need for the gospel. Christianity is not an issue of we understand the gospel and we get saved and then we go on to bigger and better things and we start learning about, you know, philosophy and theology. All the, the gospel is what undergirds everything in the Christian life. And you know, the beautiful thing is that when we get saved for real, when we give our lives to God, we not only have peace with God, but we have peace with other people. When you read the writings of Paul, you see that he says over and over again to these believers, peace be to you. And in some of these churches in the first century, you've got people who had a really, really, really dark past. But the apostle Paul could say, peace be to you. You see, for some of us, we don't have peace because we worry too much about what other people think about us. We want to be people pleasers and we are tossed to and fro just like a wave because we don't want to offend people. But you see, real peace from Jesus, it's a gift from his followers. It's a supernatural gift from God. And here's where it begins to create friction. The worldly peace that Jesus refers to in John chapter 14 verse 27, it's a worldly ripoff. It's a hollow thing because in our culture, some of us have bought the lie. We've swallowed it, man, hook, line, and sinker, and we've probably tried to swallow the whole rod and reel as well, that says peace comes through financial security. Right? I mean, it can take different forms. Financial security. Retirement. We still okay? Like we've got this magical, we've got this idea, this thing to say, if I can just get to this point, everything's going to be okay and I'm going to have peace. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12 about this guy. He was a farmer. It said that he had so much produce that he couldn't even store it in his barns. So guess what he did? He said, let's build bigger barns, right? Let's extend the market share. And no thought of God, no thought of others, no thought of the gospel, no thought of giving. And the Bible says, this is Jesus, he says, you fool. Now by the world's standards, this guy was a baller. Absolute financial baller. Fortune 500. I mean, he's the guy who built bigger barns. Translation. Bigger barns. Like rolling and going. This guy had it all. I mean, he had so... Imagine. So much stuff you didn't even have a place to put it. And some of y'all have gone to garage sales for people who have found junk in their house. And we go to garage sales and we find awesome junk to put it in our house. Amen. Right, And then we just kind of keep it going in the garage sale circle. So here's the guy. Man, he had so much stuff. And here's the difference. For some of us, we think that we're so smart because we've been able to plan. And man, some of you guys, maybe by the power of, of the Lord and giving you just common grace, you know how to make money and you've made a lot of it. But here's the danger when we begin to say, I'm secure because I have my house paid for because I've got a, I've got an awesome ride. I've got the spinners. I've got the... Redneck equivalent, which is jacked up, huge truck, you know, all of that stuff is paid for. The danger can be that peace comes through financial, quote-unquote, security. And it is a lie of our culture. It's simply not true. See, that's the kind of peace that the world tries to give. To say that security financially will bring happiness. There's also another type of security where some of us, we say, Jeff, I, I can't have peace unless I'm able to compare myself with other people. It's the type of 
Y'all track with me. It's the type of situation to where when someone walks into the room, we've got to shape them up to see if we're prettier, if we're smarter, if we're funnier, to where we are viewed as superior to other people. Because there's some people when they can't have peace unless they're on top. For others of us, this is from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Apostle Paul talks about false teachers. And one of the driving motivations, this is in verse number 4, 1 Timothy chapter 6, is that they have an unhealthy craving, check this out, for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and suspicion. One of the worldly lies is to say that we'll have peace when everybody else realizes that we're right. Y'all don't know anybody like that, do you? To say, I've got to be right in this situation. I've got, I mean, even if they give a good point, I've got to show what I know so everybody else knows that I was not just told something because I know everything. Worldly peace, which means I have to be on top. Which is interesting when you think about what getting saved really is. When we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, it's really us saying, I'm wrong and you're right. Isn't that it? You get out of the core of it? So the road to true peace is being able to admit that we're wrong. It's a reversal of the way that we normally think. Jonathan Edwards said this, and this is in your notes. He says, all earthly things are but empty shadows, which however men set their hearts upon them are not bred and can never satisfy their souls. But this peace of Christ is a truly substantial, satisfying food. None of those things, if men have them to the best advantage, and if ever so great abundance can give true peace and rest to the soul. You see, the, the, the peace of Jesus Christ that he promises when we follow him, it's kind of like an antidote to an anxious and a troubled heart. That's why he says there in verse 27, he says, let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It means that the peace of God will serve as like a military detachment to protect our hearts and minds from thoughts of anxiety and fear. You see, outside of Christ, if we're not saved, the only way that we can have a false peace is to kind of be blindfolded and to not think about life. Because if you think about it, once if you don't know Jesus Christ, when you begin to think about life, it gets crazy scary. Future is not certain. There's no certainty that my sins are forgiven. There's no, there's no certainty that I'll see my loved ones who have known Jesus again. All of that stuff. When we get saved, it is when God allows facts to be our friends. It's when we can look reality full in the face and say, you know what? I am a sinner. Like, I actually deserve to go to hell. Like, I, my life is twisted. I've made mistakes. I need, I need what I can't earn. And then to find that in Jesus, it means to be able to say in a lazy boy recliner without getting all fired up and defensive, you know what? I am a great sinner. I have not been the mom, the dad, the son, the daughter. I've actually stolen things from work. I've done dishonorable things that no one even knows about. But guess what? Jesus is a mighty savior. 
And it's because I'm not all that in a bag of chips that I've realized my need for Christ. You see, peace comes that way. There, a lack of peace means we have to defend ourselves and we have to react against every time when someone tells us that we're wrong or when God's word tells us that we're wrong. When we get saved, it's this. Saying, you know what? Honestly, I've been nothing but wrong. You're right. And there is so much peace. It is forgiveness. It's when, like Jonathan Edwards says, to where everything changes. And he says, how miserable they are who cannot enjoy peace any otherwise than by hiding their eyes from the light and confining themselves to darkness. You see, the peace of Jesus Christ, man, it is so different than anything else we can find on the shelves. It means that if we have financial hardships, then say, well, guess what? We serve a God who is rich in mercy. It means that if we go through difficult times, we say, you know what? God is able. And it means that the peace that Jesus Christ gives us, it's not understood by the world because it's not rooted in anything in the world. The peace of Jesus Christ allows, like these Christians overseas who are standing and under pain of death, they can say the name Jesus. They're de- People who are being killed by ISIS, the last words are praising Jesus and asking Jesus for help. That's peace. The worldly knockoff of peace is so unstable, man. Remember when I was a kid and I built this uh, Lego? It was it was called the King's Castle, and we had a bunch of kids over, and I had it on a table. And uh, I'm still working through the bitterness and forgiveness issue. But this one kid, man, he knocked over my King's Castle like I wanted to stab him with a Lego. I mean, it was I had worked so hard on that thing, you know. And and, and once he knocked it off, you know, if, if Legos have any type of, I mean, way to, it, it is just an explosion of Legos. And my mom saw it and she kind of stepped in because she knew her oldest son. And for those of you who have children with aggressive tendencies, she kind of did this. Okay, Jeffrey, it's okay. It's fine. No problem. We'll get another one, right? Like that type of thing to do damage control because she didn't want me having some kid, you know, ground and pound. But it was the king's castle. At that time, back in the 80s, children of the 80s, where you at? Come on. It was the biggest thing that you could have Lego-wise. Y'all try the king's castle. Come on. But check this out. It couldn't survive a fall that far, and it exploded. You see, the reason why so many of us are tormented in our mind and our heart from guilt, unforgiveness, Maybe you're here this morning and you've gone through a nasty divorce. Maybe some of you are raised very rough and you're like, bro, I don't even, I don't even know what this would look like. Like for me, peace in the home meaning it meant dad not being as drunk. Like peace in the home meant when mom and dad were not there at the same time. Like some of us, we've, we've, we've grown up and we've seen so much dysfunctionality that it's hard for us to even imagine what this would look like. Listen, the peace of Jesus Christ is when we realize that the world's king castle or whatever it is cannot survive the winds of relational problems, the winds of financial problems, and to say, you know what? My main problem is that one day I'm going to die. One day you're going to die. Welcome to church. Seriously. One day, every single one of us is going to die, and we're going to stand before God and face judgment. 
And if you've never had your sins forgiven, if you've never been changed, and we've got a lot of people in the South, especially to where we have been, quote-unquote, saved, to where we've done something, we filled out a card, we've joined a church, but there's been no life change. That's how you know if it's real. If there's been a heart change that's resulted in a life change. We've got people who had something happen early on. They've stayed in church their whole life, but there's never been a true change. If there's no change, there's no Christ. You see, if there's no fruit, there's no root. All of those things. But when you get saved... When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he settles the most pressing, the most irritating, the most terrorizing question, which is what happens to me when I die? When you've given your life to Jesus Christ and he's forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future, things can happen here. Things, terrible things can happen. Sicknesses and divorce and job loss, maybe lose a house. Crazy bad things from the worldly perspective. But you know that the biggest problem that you and I have has been taken care of through the blood of Jesus Christ, which enables us here in America, just like believers overseas, to have peace in the midst of persecution. That's the peace that Jesus offers. It is the peace that the world doesn't and can't.